live and local across the city and South Cambridgeshire. This is Alex Elbro. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm travelling once again, miles and miles and miles away. Miles and miles and miles away. Miles and miles and miles away. Tell me, how could you be so near, yet so far away? Like miles and miles and miles away, miles and miles and miles away. Tell me, how could you be so near, yet so far away? Like miles and miles and miles away, miles and miles and miles away. Cambridge 105 Radio. That was a Cleveland Watkiss and so near. What a beautiful track. And hopefully, by the powers of magic, we will have Cleveland on the line. Good afternoon to you. Kazam, Sisam, I'm right here. Oh, brilliant. Cleveland, it's wonderful to have you on here. Now, you are an Ivo Novella award-winning jazz vocalist. You have got such a, a rich background in music. Do you want to tell us about that song, Sonia, or do you want to go to your background first? No, we can talk about, talk about Sonia. Oh, Lovely. It was, it was written, I think, in 2000. Yeah, just me being like reflective about um, life and hope and the future and just really looking at how the important things and the real things are usually staring us in the face but sometimes they can seem like they're really far away yeah absolutely now you are coming up to the jazz festival this weekend which we're very excited about before that though could you give us a bit of a background on how you kind of got into particularly jazz vocal singing and also how into jazz and how into music because you've been with it all your life haven't you yeah i mean i think it's it's something that i've always uh, felt that i was part of you know even as a baby i mean i always (laughs) tell people that um listening to the radio from a you know, couple of two three years old, having the radio on and just being absorbing everything coming out of the radio. So what was on on the radio? You know, we're talking about early to mid sixties, uh, listening to what was maybe sort of like the Beatles era, that whole sound that was coming that's predominant in England at the time. So I was hearing that, and obviously of Caribbean origin, my parents from Jamaica, I was hearing the music. In particular, my dad was playing. He was an amateur DJ, and also he was a record collector, so I was hearing a lot of different sounds that he enjoyed, and some of that was blues and jazz. I remember Ray Charles being a favourite of my dad's, and um, apparently he was a fan of uh, Oscar Peterson as well, and he used to go to Ronnie Scott's back in the early days. So I was hearing quite electric soundscapes as a, as a young as a young child. And I also remember the school that I went to in East London in Hackney, assembly we used to have to sit there in silence and listen to classical music and though i didn't hear that at home but i heard it at school so i got familiar with some of the famous pieces and i'll hear them elsewhere and i think oh where have i heard this piece before of course i heard that at school when i was a kid you know and you know when you're sitting there in silence um listening to music it it goes in another type of way you know you're not being distracted by anything because that was the discipline that we had you know you, you, you sat there and listened to what was being played so so i think all these sounds me being sort of sponge for and 
a lover of music it was all just really going in and and forming my own ideas about what i liked and what i didn't like you know because i think when you have a, a broad listening ear then you you figure out what you the things that you like and you don't like so i'll feel fortunate that i had exposure to like a broad palette of, of, of sounds growing up yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now you said you went on to study voice, didn't you, at London School of Singing, and yeah, and, and study found, opera as well as you know what, what other yeah, people might it, think. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of by accident in a sense <laughs> because I, I found this singing school in West London, and it was yeah, you know, I kind of just answered this advert and we talking about looking at training your voice at this particular place and i just thought oh well, this would this be interesting for me to understand you know just check out the physiology and you know just the mechanics of how the voice actually works and there was a book that i studied from one of the teachers arnold rose and when i got there they he said well we we teach opera singing and i thought oh okay <laughs> all right well how does that work so, so he started you know so i started to have some lessons there and i started to study this book this opera book and just taught you how to all the technicalities of the muscles that you use and breathing techniques and I mean just stuff that is just, just really really above my head I'm talking like I was what was that probably about 18 or 19 at the time but the thing is I stayed with this book this particular book it was called The Singer and the Voice and I used to read this book all the time and, I, and for the longest time I didn't understand anything you know there was no Google or anything like that at the time so you couldn't really it was very difficult to for me to understand some of the language some of the technical words that were being used in this book but the thing is what happened was i stayed with the book and i and i tried to do some of the exercises and i studied it and i read and i studied and then many years later a lot of things just started to click i'm one of these kind of people that if i want to learn something i'll stay with it until i get it and it even though it might take years I'll, i will stay with it until it really clicks because I, I had that kind of dedication and discipline at the time so so then yeah many years later every, certain things just started to click. So I started to understand how to produce your voice for for the big stage, you know, just how to make this big sound that opera singers need to make in order to project their voices. Because, you know, when you're singing in an opera, you're not necessarily using microphones and, you're, you, and you've got to fill the place with your voice and, and, and get above the orchestra, etc. So, I mean, but I had no intentions of, Doing any, I just wanted to understand the different ways of producing a voice, and I was just really interested in, yeah, just the technicalities of how someone can produce a big voice like that. I was going to say that must hold you in good stead, though, because so many people won't have come from that discipline, and it's a very uh, mechanical almost way of learning how to use your voice as an instrument, which <clears> it clearly is. But some people will kind of almost fall into it because they enjoy singing and just singing along. Yeah. And having that a really good, solid background must really help for projecting voice and protecting it as well. Exactly. Protecting, I mean, I understood about, you know, not not putting too much pressure on my vocal cords and, 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 or singing from my throat or using too much of my shoulders and my neck when I'm singing. Yeah, so I understand all these, these, these technical things. But it wasn't until 2007 that I actually put any of that in practice. Now, I've been, I was studying this book in the 80s going into the 90s, and it wasn't until 2007. <laughs> the great Julian Joseph said to me, look, I've written this uh, jazz opera and you're the only person that can sing it. I thought... What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I can't sing that stuff. And, and, and so anyway, he, I don't know, maybe he's heard me sing stuff in that vein before. And, and, and he, anyway, he's written this opera um, based around um, George uh, Paul Green, 
Bridgetow, who was a prodigy violinist back in uh, 1807 and was courted by Beethoven. Anyway, so I, you know, after being sort of um, getting over the, the, the whole shock of, <laughs> of, 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 of Julian offering me this, this, um, this role, I, I just drew back on the stuff that I'd, I'd studied and, and, and learned and done this concert. And I, and I was working with two other opera singers in this production. And so it was quite scary for me. You know, it's probably one of the scariest things I've ever done in my career, really, because I, I just felt like really out of my depth because I'd never done this work practically before. Yeah, I'd studied it, but I didn't. Yeah, especially going with in, people that have like been doing it for however many years and exactly, grown up you know, kind of doing that, yeah. Yeah, so it was it was all it was all pretty scary stuff, but um, I managed to managed to get through it. <laughs> it. It was it was um, a great learning moment, and yeah, um, I'm I'm really grateful for that opportunity to. So since then, you've worked with tons, many many artists of all different types of disciplines, orchestras, pop legends, soul mm-hmm. legends. Who was your kind of favourite, or have you got too many? <laughs> I don't think there's necessarily a favourite because you learn different things, you know, from from working with different people. Especially a lot of the studio stuff that I might have been doing back in the day, working with people like uh, Stevie Wonder or the Who, uh, Pete Townsend from the Who, Nigel Kennedy. I did some um, singing some Bach duets with my <laughs> Nigel Kennedy. Amazing. <laughs> it's <was> just like, <laughs> and again, just like real scary yeah. stuff, you know. So um, yeah, so I think you learn. You learn, you learn different things from working with different people, you know. Oh, that's um, wonderful. Coming to the Jazz Festival this weekend, you're running a vocal workshop, aren't you, with Pete Churchill. Are you doing a performance as well? We're doing a performance, yeah. We're, yeah. Doing, we're doing the John Hendricks songbook. I don't know if you know who John Hendricks is or was, I should say. He sadly passed away a few years ago. But John Hendricks was the pioneer of what they call vocalese, which is setting um, lyrics to an already pre-recorded instrumental line. So whether it's a theme or it's a solo, but he would write words to these lines. And he was like, he's considered like the kind of father of, of this um, art called vocalese, as well as being a great, a great composer, a great singer, a great improviser. So Pete was one of the last, Pete Churchill being a great arranger and singer himself. And he had worked with John Hendricks, John's kind of last uh, few years. He sadly passed away, but Pete was the um, pianist and um, person that John was around working on some, I believe, some new stuff and also just recapturing some of the stuff that he had written back in the day, but he hadn't finished. So Pete kind of went to New York and was working with him to just to revive some of the stuff that he hadn't finished. And, but anyway, Pete's somebody that... Um, me, me and Pete are uh, Guildhall School of Music alumni, so I know, I've known Pete for like over 30 years, and we've done various projects together. And um, Brilliant. So doing a workshop, me and Pete are heading a workshop, but we're also doing uh, a tribute to John Hendricks. We're doing... John Hendricks' story is so huge, and then we, we only tap in the surface of some of the stuff that he did, so we're doing like a selection of songs from his catalogue. Is that on the uh, Saturday, Saturday evening? Saturday morning, because oh, the concert's in the afternoon. 
Oh, right. Yeah, 11 till 1. That's the workshop. Yes. Right. So that the and workshop... The concert follows. concert follows after the workshop. Ah, oh, right. It's 1.30, the concert. Oh, perfect. People can, can come to the workshop and then come and sit and, and enjoy yes. the concert afterwards. Exactly. Now, yes. who is the workshop aimed at, or is it aimed at anybody? It's aimed at anybody. Anyone, anyone that's really interested in, in singing, using their voice, uh, looking at different improvising techniques. We're going to use uh, Lambert Hendrix and Ross piece of music. Lambert Hendrix and Ross were a trio, a vocal trio that would uh, vocalize Duke Ellington's music or Count Basie's music. Um, they were really popular during the 60s and 70s. So we're going to be looking at a piece of their music, but then we're also going to be looking at just using your voice in a more improvisable. I think a lot of people struggle with that, don't they? I think you can read the music and, and you feel comfortable because you're safe within that. So I think this is a really fun way to kind of let yourself go, really, and, well, and see. Well, yeah, absolutely. When, when you think, when you, if you think about it, it's like that's how we get into music. It's, yeah. by, it's by improvisation, you know, and, and, and exploration. Or even an instrument. You pick up an instrument and you start playing around with it, you know, or with the voice, you start, you know, as children, we we hear sounds and we try to mimic them or, you know, sing and create our own songs. So I think that improvisation should be taught or, or I should say, I think it's something that's innate in all of us, yeah, um, yeah. this ability to, to improvise. And I think that it should, it should run alongside when you're studying any sort of techniques, whether it's, you know, playing a violin or guitar, piano, yeah. voice. I think that improvisation is a natural phenomenon. I think that it should be encouraged in music schools, you know, so yeah. alongside formal stuff we do. That's brilliant. And I think I, I totally agree. I see so many times I think people think they're going to play the wrong thing because they haven't really been learned to improvise and to just to feel the music and create what is in with, within them. So this well, no one needs uh, to li read music to come to this workshop, do they? No, 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 not at all, not at all. Not Brilliant. At all. I mean, and then, then the other side of it is that some of the great classical, most of the great classical composers were actually improvising. Yeah. You know, a lot of the things that they played were pieces that would create in the moment. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a very good point. Well, we'll have yeah. to leave it there because time is running out. It's been absolute pleasure talking to you and I hope it goes really well on Saturday. Thank you very much. Before, though, I'm going to play a clip from the yeah. Uy Vim Dabaya, which I'm thinking oh, sounds like... El, El Vim da Elvim de Bahia, I'm singing in uh, Brazilian Portuguese. I yes. thought it was, I thought it was. I sort of recognised the kind of Portuguese tone to it. So do you want to say anything about that before we go? Oh, well, this is one of my favourite uh, Brazilian pieces of music by um, Gilvim. And yeah, it's just, I've, I've been to Brazil many times and I just really wanted, and I love the sound of uh, Brazilian Portuguese, singing in Brazilian Portuguese. And, um, this, so this is my first attempt at singing a beautiful song in uh, in the Portuguese, so enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's Cleveland Watkins, who's doing the workshop and a concert on Saturday at the junction for the Cambridge Jazz Festival. Thank you very much. Thanks. Take care. Eu vim, eu vim da Bahia cantar. Eu vim da Bahia cantar. Toda coisa bonita que tem a Bahia que é meu lugar, tem meu chão, tem meu céu, tem meu mar. Bahia pra viver, pra viver. Como é que faz pra viver? Hoje a gente quer mais, mas pra ir mais de fome. 
que more porque o Bahia que mais doutorado outro lado senhor do bom fim caduco para previver pra cada sapo valer se alegria fecha de uva no canta de uva e noite Cambridge 105 Radio